Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. We all have desires, don't we? There are things that are just outside of our reach, things that we press towards. Please listen to this clip. It was taped in 1995 by Dr. Stevens. It's a biblical account of men expressing their desires to Christ. All right, today, I I want to talk about the uh, desires that we have and how God tests our desires. Mark 10 Jesus glanced around and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter started to say to him, Behold, we have yielded up and abandoned everything once and for all and joined you as your disciples, siding with your party and accompanied you walking the same road and going where you go. Jesus said, I truly, I tell you, that there is no one who has given up and left house, brother or sisters or mothers, father or children, lands for my sake, and the Gospels, who will not receive a hundred times as much now, and this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are now first will be last, and many who are now last will then be first. Notice he said you will receive in this lifetime a hundred times. Now and in the time to come. Don't forget that. He said now and in the time to come. That's something that often we don't completely take at face value. As they were going to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking in front of them, they were bewildered and perplexed and greatly astonished, and those who were still following were seized with alarm and were afraid. He took the twelve apostles again and began to tell them what was about to happen. The Son of Man will be turned over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn and sentence him to death and turn him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and whip him and put him to death. But after three days he will rise again from death. And James and John, the son of sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we desire you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now please understand, he had taught them to do that. They're only doing what they were taught, but they're going a little bit beyond that because of the special atmosphere that was going on with the disciples. And so, he replied to them, What do you desire me to do for you? And they said, Grant that we may set one at your right hand and on your left hand in your glory, your majesty and your splendor. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they replied, We are able. And Jesus told them, the cup that I drink you will drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized with, but to sit at my right hand on my left hand is not mine to give, but it will be given to those for whom it is ordained and prepared. The disciples 
are, at the present time, considering the great question, who is the greatest? And the reason that they were considering this great question was basically due to one thing. They had been used to perform miracles. They had been with Jesus as he performed his miracles. They were able to cast out devils. On the basis of their miraculous ministries that they had had in part, at this time, pride is taking over. Because they are very close to the one that they know as Messiah. They are his intimate circle. So this is the background of the question, who is the greatest? Now you'll notice that Peter very beautifully told the truth. He said, we have left everything once and for all to serve you. And we're going to stay with you. He said, houses, everything we've left, we've given it all up. And Jesus said, I tell you right now that anyone that does that will receive a hundredfold now and in the life to come. And we have read what he said in details. But then, immediately, Jesus made a great statement. Those who are first, many of them will be last, and many who are last will be first. Now, very quickly, uh, based upon the word of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the justice of God and the mercy of God and the uh, compassion of Jesus Christ, among other things, those that are last today are those unfortunate folks that are born retarded, bungaloids, not just people that give up things to serve Jesus Christ, but many other people, in one way or another, are last. A little baby that has AIDS that had nothing to do with getting it, they're last, certainly. What, what, what is this life for them? Not, absolutely zero. And all of them, I can assure you, on the basis of knowing God and I think you could say the same thing. That this category of people will be first in all eternity. Don't you ever forget that. When you see a retarded child or an aged baby, they will be first in all eternity. Not just for a week. It's one thing to win something. And as you win something, you have a couple of weeks off and to be blessed. It's one thing to even to prosper for a season. But these folks will prosper for all eternity. Let me illustrate it to you before I get into things that relate to this passage. Inasmuch 
as the Lord Jesus Christ loves justice. In Deuteronomy 32.4, in Psalm 33.5, in Isaiah 61.8, inasmuch as he loves justice, inasmuch as he is righteous and loves his righteousness, inasmuch as he compassionately dies, died for the sins of the whole world, the AIDS baby, the, the retarded children, and innocent people who know God, who have lived through this life with chemical disorders, and they really were chemical disorders, and those that couldn't walk. Now, Jesus Christ didn't bring this upon these folks. It's a part of the consequences of the fall that the human race corporately has to share. Let me say that again. It's a part of the depravity of the fall that the human race corporately has to share, even though individually it is not fair. But, because of it individually, Jesus Christ will take care of it forever and ever and ever and ever. That you can be assured of. And you will see it when you get to heaven. Their glorification will be extremely unusual to witness, insurmountable to understand, but beautiful to behold. Then, these disciples, two of them, with their mother, had great desires. And you know what? I don't think any objective person would, would criticize their desires. Were they bold? Yes, they were. I mean, they had heard Jesus say, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. So they said, hey, he's so trustworthy. Let's remind him of that and let's make a request. And they said to him, we desire you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Because that's the, see, they were taking his promise and putting it right back on him. <laughs> but he, in his humanity, he Little could he realize what was coming next. What is it that you desire of me, he said. And they said, that I can sit on your right side and my brother can sit on your left side. Okay. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt for a change. And say that they wanted to be near Jesus. They wanted to be near him. What was the lesson he taught them? That you desire to be near me, but I desire you to be like me. You're seeking nearness to, to God. And I want you to seek God. And as far as who will sit on the right or left, it's been before ordained by God. I do not know. 
a noble request, a virtuous desire, but with wrong understanding about Christ. Everyone understands to some degree that Jesus is going to address something very beautifully. And the thing I love about the Lord, He really, truly meets these people where they are. And He said, Do you think you could be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, or going to be baptized with, in the cup that I, I have to drink? And they said to him, yes, we could. And he said, you know what? You will, too. What was the cup? Many people think the cup was separation from God the Father, and I agree with that. But the real meaning of the cup, if you, if you want to take it in its context, and then let the Spirit teach you the deeper things. But if you take it in the context, this is the cup. Father, if it's possible, will you let this cup pass from me? And I do believe that it meant the cup that the Father was going to be separated from him for the first time ever in eternity. But Jesus then said this statement. Nevertheless, thy will be done. You know what the cup is? Surrendering our will to God's will. No matter what that means. And that's the cup. When I surrender my will to God's will and God's loving kindness and his mercy breaks me, and I sincerely implement a surrendered will to Jesus Christ, then, though I'm limited in time and space and limited as a sinner, that's when I am drinking his cup. When I obey him in the, in the heart of God, in the grace of God, I am drinking his cup. But what does it mean to be baptized with the baptism that he was baptized with? We understand that he just said that he would be crucified and buried and he'd rise again in three days. So the baptism of Jesus Christ was a baptism unto death with our sins upon him. And he said, you indeed will be baptized with my baptism. But our baptism is, of course, very crucial. It is co-crucifixion. It is co-burial. It is, our baptism, of course, isn't carrying anybody's sins. But our baptism is accepting his death absolutely is our death and accepting his burial absolutely is our burial 
and accepting his resurrection absolutely as our resurrection and his ascension absolutely as our ascension. Now, that's what the baptism is. The oak, the, the powerful oak, is born in the grave. The acorn pushes underground. In the grave it sprouts and sets its buds upward. A hundred years later it, was, it stood in the grave every day. Think of it. The oak tree spreads its dark roots into the soil, into the cold black soil. Every year it goes farther and farther in the grave. Finally, this, as that root of the oak tree goes deeper and deeper into this black soil of the grave, the beautiful stems, branches, leaves, come upward into the sunshine. The reward of the roots go into the grave that the tree may be so beautiful and so bright in God's picture of creation. The deeper, the deeper the oak tree finds itself in the grave, the longer it lives the more beautiful it becomes and the greater display of strength it expresses. And this is the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you drink the cup that I had to drink? A surrendered will. Absolutely surrendered into my death would you really do it will you surrender everything about your emotions your heart and your soul into my death and will you do it every day and the deeper you do it every day in the dark soil of this world system around you the deeper you will be rooted and grounded in love the deeper Christ will dwell in your hearts by faith. Then is God's sunlight and sunshine. Is God's token of mercy and manifestation of grace. Helping many to realize love. You'll be so strong in me. You can say, yes, we've been baptized with his baptism. We've been crucified with him in burial. And we are risen. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. 
Philippians 3, starting in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There are many ideas in the world about what it takes to have your desires met about your desires about things, but also desires about yourself, about goals you'd like to meet or uh, potential you'd like to fulfill or a place that you would like to be, something you would like to accomplish. And God in the scriptures really addresses those issues, and it was great to see that addressed about how Jesus dealt with those men, with those issues. Many times our desires are also shaped and formed by our self-image. In 1 Corinthians 15:10, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. Mm. When we see ourselves through the lens of the grace of God and through the power of God's working through his grace towards us, if that is our self-image, and really that Philippians 3 verse about um, pressing to those things which are before are not only leaving behind those things in the past and moving forward, which can be done from a really natural perspective, but now we press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that is a different way of going forward in our lives. It's not competing against our own potential. It's not competing against others. And doesn't that have such a great sound to it, that we compete against our own potential? Sounds so morally neutral. Leaves everybody else out of the equation. Takes it down to just us. But that's not the answer in God's economy. That we find our identity in Christ Jesus and what he's done for us. And then we also see that our desires are met there. I love these verses in 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul is addressing this church, starting in verse 13. But we boast not beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. Oh, wow. That is a loaded verse, really. Within the sphere, within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us a measure. So shaped by the plan of God, the will of God. We're not boasting outside of that. We're not reaching for things outside of that. We're reaching for things within our sphere. And what's within our sphere involves other people. For we have not overextended ourselves, as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even unto you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. Oh, that is good. That is good. That there is something about the plan of God, the working of God within this sphere of edification and evangelism where we find our purpose, we find our desires and they're new desires. It's different than the new job or losing 10 pounds or um, seeing ourselves in a more relaxed state or being more financially secure or emotionally stable or all of those things, all those Worthy goals, you would say, that we would see about our own lives. It's not wrong to want those things. But our desires then 
come within the sphere of this life of God and the plan of God and the mission of God, which which involves spreading the gospel, which involves other people growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, which involves the salvation of those who don't know Christ. In verse 17, we'll skip to there, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Oh, and isn't that good? Will I, if I attain the desire, then will I approve of myself? If I've reached what goal that I want to reach, then do I, is, is my approval of myself, is that the issue? Or is it knowing that God approves of me? And then I can approve of myself. Is that, Paul is saying that, but whom the Lord commends is the one who is really commended. Not he who commends himself. So in Second Timothy 2, 3 through 5, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So let us strive, let us reach forward, let us stretch further within the grace of God. Within the grace of God. Let us go forward in faith, seeing what God will do, where God will take us, how God will change us. Not to say that we don't lose 10 pounds, not to say that we don't go farther on the treadmill, not to say that we don't um, have a better job in some way, if that's what God does in our life, or that we don't have a nice place to live. Because God may do all those things, and God actually promises that if we seek first the kingdom of God, he's going to add many of these other things relationships, but houses and lands and ability within that. It's not wrong to want those things, but we want to strive lawfully because only then can we be crowned. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com So you may be a person who wants many things has a little list, has a little book, a little day timer, goals written out. Or you may be a person who really doesn't want very much or has despaired of achieving those things that, as a child, you had great hopes that you would achieve. Either way, to, do, to surrender ourselves to the will and the plan and the salvation of Jesus Christ That is the highest calling. That is where God approves of us. The Lord commends us for our lives of faith. And that is the place to be. If you have not yet received Christ as your Savior, will you? Would you now pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Change me. Take all these desires that I have and I lay them at your feet. All the desires I have of my own life, of making it on my own, and I come before you and I bow down a knee and I say, You be my Lord, you be my Savior, you died on my behalf, you surrendered your life, you gave up all of it to take on sin, to take on death, 
and you conquered the grave in God. The Father has exalted you to the highest position. So Lord, I bow my knee to you. I ask you, come into my life and give me new desires. Help me, God. Be with me. Cleanse me. Make me yours. And then that I might strive lawfully, I might learn the word of God. I might be taught that I would know the right way to go in this life. I ask these things, I pray these things, in Jesus' name, amen.